goosebumps right now as I think of the end of the book, I think the third to last chapter, I share a story about my mom. I'm the youngest of five kids. My father struggled with alcohol. His dad struggled with alcohol. I was kind of the golden child of the family. Rarely let my mom down, but I did one time and I'm 10 or 11 years old. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. And she devout Catholic. She grabs me by the shoulders. She's never physically aggressive with me, but grabbed me by the shoulders, looked me in the eye and shook me and said, God gave you gifts. You must mm. give them to the world. And the way I was showing up in that moment wasn't oh. at her standards. And even as I say that, man, I get tears in my eyes. Like that's my life. That's my life's mission wow. is I think God's given me gifts. I think God's given you gifts. I think God has given Ooh. all of us gifts. And we have a moral obligation, a moral obligation to do the hard work, to forge the strength, especially now with the way our world is, is in chaos and, and turmoil. Um, and I like to say, you're the hero we've been waiting for. Quit looking outside yourself. Step up, show up, do the hard work. And for me, it's, it's a moral thing at the end of the day. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 102 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm super pumped that you're here with me today. If you don't know Brian Johnson, you're welcome. He is a treat. He's a walking encyclopedia of ancient wisdom and practical tools for helping you and me meet our potential. But more importantly, he is extremely humble, generous, and has a heart to serve people. And you will see that in today's episode. He's the creator of Optimize and the founder and CEO of Heroic. You may have heard of the Heroic app. We'll talk more about that. He spent half of the last 25 years as the founder and CEO and the other half as a philosopher. He's in the running for the most interesting man in the world. Check out his full bio. But just some quick highlights. As the founder and CEO, he raised over $20 million and he built and sold two market-leading social platforms. And as a philosopher, he's served tens of thousands of people from nearly every country in the world with his heroic membership and trained over 3,500 people from 90 plus countries with his heroic coach program. I first learned about Brian through his philosopher's notes, and you may have come upon those. They are six page PDF summaries of top books. And he started doing them, I learned, during his master's program. And since starting them, he's done over 600 philosopher's notes of some of the best books out there. And that just gives you a sense of the depth and breadth of his wisdom and how much he's read. And he brings that, of course, into his work. And the last thing I want to mention is that Brian just came out with a brand new book on November 14th titled Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential. It just came out. It's already a bestseller. It's an amazing thousand plus page book with 451 micro chapters. It's super useful. So it's huge, tons of wisdom in this book, definitely work, worth a purchase, but then it's also broken down in these micro chapters to make it more accessible and usable. On today's episode, Brian gives us a little mini masterclass on the book. We talk about his relationship with Phil Stutz, who you may know from the Netflix documentary Stutz, produced by Jonah Hill. We also talk about Arate, defines that. We talk about targeted thinking, how to deal with negative thoughts, how to deal with our mixed desires. You know, one minute I want potato chips, the next minute I want, you know, an eight pack 
Um, we talk about the role of community in personal growth, how to develop anti-fragile confidence, how to get back on track if you've started making progress, but then you feel like you're backsliding and much more. Two quick asks before we jump into this episode. One, in the show notes of this episode is a link to his book. Check it out. I highly recommend it. Second, and also a link in the show notes of this episode, download the Heroic app. It's free to get started. John Mackey, the co-founder and former CEO of Whole Foods, called it the best self-development platform in the world. Highly recommend you check it out. Thanks again for being here with us today. I hope you enjoy this episode and this conversation with the inspiring Brian Johnson. All right, so I am here with Brian Johnson. I'm so fired up about this interview. Such a big fan of you, Brian, and your work. Thanks for being here, man. Cal, I appreciate you. As we were discussing before, I appreciate your service and um, admire who you are and what you do and excited about our chat. So I received your book, and I, I hope I pronounced this right, so please correct me. Arute? Is it Arute? Ar, ar, very close. Arute. Arate. Arate. So activate your heroic potential. This book, Brian, is special, man. I, I had the opportunity to read some of it. I haven't had a chance to go through all of it. Uh, a thousand plus pages of wisdom for sure. And the forward, I want to start here if you're okay with it. Uh, the forward is by Dr. Phil Stutz. And many of you may know him from the Netflix series he did with Jonah Hill. But I just, I love the way he frames your work and talks about you. And, and he's such an interesting uh, person, someone I actually recently watched a little bit of the, the Netflix series. So I wanted just to see if you could start by talking a little bit about your relationship with him and maybe how he has shaped the way you think uh, about life and leadership and wisdom. Yeah, goosebumps. It's a wonderful place to start. Phil has had by far the deepest impression on me. So in the acknowledgments, actually, I, I joke that yeah, we got to know each other about eight years ago, and we've had 400 one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions together every week um, for you know almost eight years and twice a week for two years. So my joke was, and he's, he's my coach and kind of my spiritual father at this point. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, the heroic gods had a good sense of humor waiting 40-something <laughs> years to connect us, but bless you, Father, let's go. <laughs> So he's in the Netflix documentary with Jonah Hill. As you know, if you've watched it, he's an iconoclastic, you know, psychiatrist who's really challenged how to approach behavioral change. Um, he developed the tools. Um, but, you know, I think what a good coach does to go straight at what I think Phil has done for me and for many of the people with whom he's worked is I think a good coach and a good leader sees someone's potential. They can see it in a grounded authentic real way not in a pollyannish you know um naive way but in a, in a believable he's been there and done that seen people's potential and helped them kind of go from where they are to where they want to be and he's done that for me you know he, he and i have made so many subtle distinctions that i was pretty close to locking in but when he mm. and i have a chat you know you've had this i'm sure with a number of your mentors and other leaders where you're like oh i don't need to think about that again you know yeah. boom I can just I can act with a level of confidence that this is the right way to approach this particular thing. You're still humble and open, obviously, but he's done that for me over and over and over again. Um, mm. So I love him. I, I cherish our, our relationship, and um, I'm so happy that more and more people are getting introduced to his work. I obviously talk a lot about him in the book, um, mm. but yeah, he's on my wall back there. One of my uh, very few living heroes, you know, who I really admire and um, aspire to embody certain qualities of. 
so who do we have on your wall back here? Are these these are all heroes of yours? Or if you can't see me, we'll have this up on, on video on YouTube. Yeah. But behind Brian is is just some incredible photos. It looks like a range of ages and and groupings. Yeah. But who who are the people that make the wall? And you don't have to list them all, but just generally, what what yeah. are the people behind you here? You know, I got I have Marcus Rose. I was accused of having a dude wall, which is very, very accurate. I used to have a pure dude wall, Epictetus on one side, Aurelius on the other, who are my two favorite heroes. Epictetus, uh -huh. my favorite teacher, Stoic philosopher, Aurelius, who of course the Roman Emperor, Stoic philosopher, who is trained by the guys that Epictetus trained. Um, but then I've got my wife immediately behind me. Um, I have a portrait of myself, my heroic portrait. We give one to our team, everyone who joins our team. We ask them for a picture of themselves at their best. Then we create a portrait of them. Mm. And we challenge them to be the best version of themselves while we commit to supporting them. I've got my kids up there. Emerson, named after Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Eleanor, named after Eleanor Grace, who's up there. I've got Phil, I've got Aristotle, Maslow, Gandhi, Churchill, um, Lincoln, a number of my um, just human beings that to me have demonstrated what's possible when we commit, when we do the hard work to forge the strength for two and go out and um, serve as profoundly as we can. I love it. How did you meet Phil? Because I was kind of curious about the, the backstory there. I mean, that's a lot of meetings and and obviously such a relationship and the way he's impacted you. And, and I love, you know, as you're talking about with your with your son, Emerson, um, Grandpa Phil, and just how Grandpa Phil, you could see the lessons that he's given you and even some of the stuff that shows up on the Netflix documentary. And it seems like he is takes a different approach where he'll actually offer tools to his uh to his clients to his patients to help them really get after some of these issues it may be a more efficient way versus just sitting yep. back and just uh listening and some of the other approaches but anyway i was just curious the background there how you ended up meeting phil then how that became such a classic or a, a key relationship in your development yeah yeah so i read his first book the tools and it was one of those books where i'm like that guy's got it figured out this is like 10 12 years ago and um, whenever it came out, 10 years ago or so. And then I, I bought copies for everyone on our team. The time it was like 10, 12, 15 people. And then I sent a few copies to some friends. One of my friends interviewed him. And then I wound up doing interviews. Uh, he has a podcast like this, you know, and, and I wound up doing interviews a couple years later. And I'm like, hey, introduce me to Phil, you know? I said, and so he connects me to Phil and Barry Michaels, his co-author to the book. And so I interviewed both of them together and then I need to decide which one I'm going to work with because I knew I wanted to work with them. I had uh, ended a relationship with another coach I'd worked with for three years who was great, took a break and I was ready to get back into a coach, having a coaching relationship. Anyway, I had to decide, do I work with Phil or his protege, Barry? And I like to joke that it's like Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi, like you got to go with Yoda. <laughs> You know, and that choice point, right? So we connected and it was just one of those sacred things, you know. The first page of notes I have on my desk from January of 2017. Um, mm. And uh, I, we could talk this entire time in a weekend on the first page of notes. And I don't oh, keep wow. a lot of things. I'm kind of a, yeah. a bit of a minimalist. My family stuff's important. The next most yeah. prized possession I have is my stack of notes. That's literally this high oh my from my 400 wow. sessions with him. Um, but, but then to your point too, he's all about practical application of these ideas, which is one of the reasons we resonated. You know, I've read mm -hmm. a lot of books. I've distilled a lot of books. It's kind of my thing. Um, but the, my work is move from theory to practice 
to mastery. Mm -hmm. So the ancient Stoics talked about this too. They said, don't be a librarian of the mind, is how Donald Robertson, the great Stoic scholar and practitioner and therapist says, don't be a librarian cataloging ideas. You got to be a warrior of the mind. You got to move from theory to practice. The theory is important to frame up how to live a good life, but the practice is considerably more important. So Phil's all about the practical application. Um, he calls them tools. Um, and again, we're very aligned on that. And, um, that's the essence of everything I do with heroic. And then the book is really 451 little micro chapters, um, that give you different perspectives on the seven objectives that I've kind of distilled all the ancient wisdom and modern science I've studied. Um, and I come back to him more than anybody else, but I, I feature 200 other teachers in the yeah. book. Um, cause they're all saying the same thing. Everybody says the same thing. Ancient wisdom, modern science. I've got Jesus on my wall, by the way. I know that you're a follower of Jesus and I have Jesus on my wall, upper left corner, yeah. raised Catholic for 12 years. Um, may not be considered a practicing Christian in the, in the traditional sense, but I'm a practicing mm -hmm. Christian in the ultimate sense. He's my deepest mm -hmm. inspiration. That's how I was mm -hmm. raised and goosebumps right now. As I think of the end of the book, I think the third to last chapter, I share a story about my mom. I'm the youngest of five kids. My father struggled with alcohol. His dad struggled with alcohol. I was kind of the golden child of the family. Rarely let my mom down, but I did one time and I'm 10 or 11 years old. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. And she devout Catholic. She grabs me by the shoulders. She's never physically aggressive with me, but grabbed me mm -hmm. by the shoulders, looked me in the eye and shook me and said, God gave you gifts. You must mm -hmm. give them to the world. And the way I was showing up in that moment wasn't, Whoa at her standards. And even as I say that, man, I get tears in my eyes. Like that's my life. That's my life's mission wow. is I think God's given me gifts. I think God's given you gifts. I think God has given Ooh. all of us gifts and we have a moral obligation, a moral obligation to do the hard work, to forge the strength, especially now with the way our world mm -hmm. is, is in chaos and, and turmoil. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to say, you're the hero we've been waiting for. Quit looking outside yourself, step up, show up, do the hard work. And for me, it's, it's a moral thing at the end of the day, you know, um, to be my best in service to my creator, whatever you want to call it, you know, and we all have our own idiosyncratic descriptions of that relationship, which I honor. Um, but for me, it's a sacred thing to, to do the work. And it's today we were talking about the seals, you know, before we came on and earn my trident every day. I'm looking at something from the Naval Special Warfare. A couple of my friends sent to me that, that the seals get. Today's the day. Today's my Super Bowl. You know, I'm showing up like today matters because it does. But, but again, it's a, it's a moral thing for me at the end of the day. And, and when we are our best in service to something bigger than ourselves, I think we're doing what we were made to do. Wow, Brian. Um, I got goosebumps as you were talking about your mom and, uh, and, and then thinking about your heart, the work you do. And it, that's exactly what it seems like you do is you, you identify people's gifting. And I, I love the imagery in the book about your, your walk with your son, Emerson, who future chess grandmaster, um, love the stories in there about him and, and just the, those, those intimate moments, but seeing someone's gifting and seeing the, the, the preferred future and calling that out in them and pushing them towards that. I just think that is dude, I can get behind that all day. And I, and I love, uh, I just love your heart for it. And I, I think it's just, it's exciting to see. And I think this book is packed with ways in which you can get 
towards that, I want to step back just a second. One of my favorite questions that I'll often hear in meetings, especially in the military, is we'll often act like, what problem are we trying to solve? Because uh, otherwise we can just go down a lot of different paths and maybe not even be on the direction that we want to get at. Um, and in, your, e in, your, in your, your team's email, to me, you talked about people who feel stuck and people who feel unfulfilled. Uh, I see that. I see that sometimes in myself. My like, God, oh, man, I feel stuck. I want to I wanna make progress in this area or I have these dreams that I want to get after, but I just can't make traction or I feel like I'm making progress, but then it's you know, two steps forward, three steps back. Uh, there's just a lot of that in our world. And I, I don't know if we're at a unique cultural moment, but certainly it feels like there's a lot of, of problems out there and people just are not living out their potential, generally speaking. Of course, we have people in our life that we could all think about, oh, that person's really, really crushing it, or they're doing well in a particular area. So I wonder, before we kind of jump into some of the specific ways and specific advice you offer, I wonder if you could speak to maybe who this book is for, and maybe some of your observations about the state of people in this moment. I mean, yep. do you see people as feeling stuck and feeling unfulfilled? as you kind of look around our cultural moment? No question. Um, so you said so much there that, that, that is um, powerful and I wanna briefly reflect on a few components there. First, this isn't a new challenge. I talk about the fact this is a 2,500 year old challenge. All faith traditions, all ancient wisdom traditions addressed this exact challenge. The battle between vice and virtue, the battle between the voice of what the Greeks would call your daimon, the best version of you, your inner soul, um, and the lesser version of yourself. Demon is the diminutive of daimon. So we all have that, those two voices in our head, all of us, full stop. There are no enlightened human beings. One of my favorite writers, Dan Millman says, there are more or less enlightened moments in one's life, mm. but that battle is constant. And then George Leonard, another favorite teacher of mine who wrote a book called Mastery says, the master knows the truth in what you just said. It is never straight up and to the right. Sometimes it's three steps forward and one step back. Other times it's three steps or five steps back and you crawl your way back to where you were. But the master gets that. The master gets the fact that as Phil Stutt says, you're never gonna get there. There's no, there's no there there, I like to say. You're never gonna be exonerated. Your potential is always asymptotic. And this moment is the moment to close the gap, which we'll talk more about, which is what arate literally means. Um, but I think in a go, to go back to Stutz, he says that this moment in time, and I agree, is a culturally and, and historically significant time. When we look back 500 years from now, right now, you look at the confluence of things happening, you know, not just COVID, but the political polarization, the environmental degradation, all the anxiety, the depression, you know, the chronic disease, all these things happening, it's a moment. But again, the challenge is 2,500 years old. I think it's amplified with technology in our modern world. Mm. Um, and I think the problem we're solving, and I love that frame is um, vice versus virtue. It, that, that is the ultimate challenge within ourselves. That's the ultimate battle that must always be waged first. But ultimately I boil down to not just vice versus virtue, but the call to move from being a victim, complaining, criticizing, gossiping, giving up to being a hero. And you, you solve that, as I talk about in the book, by getting clear on what you want. You got to know the ultimate game of life, which again, for me, is that moral, be your best self in service to something bigger than yourself. For my son right now, it's playing chess and becoming a grandmaster. 
all right, cool. If you want to win that little game within the context of the big game, what do you need to do right now? Um, but ultimately, I think it's victim versus hero, viciousness versus um, being virtuous, and the humility to know that it's hard, hard work. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's now a long answer to your short question. But I love the way you framed up a lot of important things for um, what it looks like to live nobly in the modern world. Let's talk about Arute. Um, what does that mean? You've mentioned it a little bit, but just to be real clear, the, the title of the book, what, what does that mean? Where does that come from? And what does it look like? I guess kind of three questions, yep. sorry, but what, what is it, where does it come from and, and what yep. can, how can people kind of distill it in their life or see it show up in their life? Yeah, so the, the word arete, it's an ancient Greek word. It's the one word answer that the ancient Greek philosophers like Aristotle, Plato and Socrates, and the ancient Stoic philosophers like Aurelius, Seneca and Epictetus, the one word answer they give you if you ask them how to live a good life. They'd answer in a single word, arete. So we translate the word as virtue or excellence. So arete again, translated as virtue or excellence, but it means something closer to being your best self, moment to moment to moment. And the way that I like to frame it up, which again, I share in the story with my son is, and I'm drawing a line right now, if you're capable of being this and there's a gap, you know that line that's a foot below it, and you're actually being this when you could have been that, and there's that gap between who you could have been and who you're actually being. It's in that gap, moment to moment to moment. Again, not who you think you should have already been over the last 15 years. But right now, this moment, um, if there's a gap, that's where regret, anxiety, disillusionment exists. If you can close the gap, you experience, and, and that's living with art, closing the gap, being your best self in this moment. You experience what the Greeks called eudaimonia which means good soul. It's as if you're listening to the conscience in the Christian sense of, you know what you could do in any given moment. You just need to slow down, ask yourself, and then do it. Have the wisdom and the discipline um, to check in and then, and then live in integrity with your deepest values. That's Arate. That's the ultimate game as I frame it. And my entire life's work in the book is, how do you do that? How do you operationalize that more and more systematically? Um, and again, we've done a lot of research on everything in the book and the coach program we have and other things we do in the app that's been proven that this works simply because it, it's what every single ancient philosopher and wisdom and faith tradition said and what every um, modern scientist has, has agreed with, which is know who you are at your best self, what virtues you embody and do those things. Life doesn't need to be so complicated. It's still hard, but we can simplify it. Um, and that's kind of how we approach it. And uh, in a single word, Arate. Would you mind telling everyone just a little bit about that story with you and your son, Emerson, just walking along? I, I love the imagery too. Just it sounds like an incredible place in, in Texas. You're walking on a path. You know, he's trying to deal with, I think any parent could just relate to a moment where you're, you see, like you see your kid's potential. You're like, I mean, my, my daughter, for example, I, I see her as a creator. Like she just, she'll come home and, and her, her and her and her friend have this sweet way. Of, like they'll make gifts for each other. And, and, and just the stuff that she creates is incredible. And I see now she's not great at everything, but there are certain things I see in her. I'm just like, you got to lean into that. Like that is your future if you want it to be but i just see incredible potential but then sometimes they can't see it or they're struggling with you know thoughts negative thoughts 
So anyway, I, I just I wonder if you could give maybe a little bit of, of color to this idea just through that story, that brief story of Emerson yeah. and you trying to deal with uh, with his world of chess at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I had the book done. You know, I knew exactly what I wanted. And it's how do I introduce a pretty complex idea? You know, arte, ancient word. How do you even spell it? How do you pronounce it? What's it mean? And all this, you know. And then I'm literally right at the final stages of finishing the book. And I, I tell the story about how on a Saturday morning, I, I end my work day early. I work every day for a little bit in the morning before the kids get up. But I stopped early to go be with my son because he had a chess tournament that day. And the context setting is my son's really into chess. We homeschool him. He got into it a year ago and he got really into it, like six, eight, <laughs> ten hours a day, you know, and watches the world championships. I don't, they're speaking Greek, you know, like he's like, I'm like, you understand what they're saying? dude? It's like, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, anyway, That's he's really so cool. into it. Um, he's gotten quite good at it, and he is aspiring to be a grandmaster these days. We'll see if that holds, but that's his current aspiration. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we've got a tournament to go to. Now, he's now at a higher level, so he's playing against stiffer, stiffer competition. He doesn't win every game now anymore, right? So anyway, I walk into the kitchen. I'm excited about the day. We're going to a tournament. We always have fun. He says, I don't want to go. He's got this wilted flower response. Man, I don't want to go. <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to go, buddy? Anyway, we're going on. Let's talk about it. Let's go on a walk. Mommy says, hey, you should probably bring up the fact that he doesn't want to go because he's afraid he's going to lose. And I said, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. So anyway, we go on this walk, and um, I'm talking about these ideas. And I have goosebumps right now. And I use his passion for chess as the context to talk about this. And we talk about that voice in his head, which Phil Stutz calls part X. That little demon voice in your head that's telling you to do the thing that isn't what you know is best for you. So we're just talking about it, you know, and I asked him, do you remember what the word arte means? Eh, sort of. Well, buddy, I got it tattooed on my arm. You know, there's a reason I tattooed it there, you know, and talk about what do you want in life? You know, like, what do you think is most important in life? And he actually gave a great answer, which is to help people, you know, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. And to be happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, in service to something bigger than yourself. Cool. When you do that, you're heroic. And I point to my other arm. Where I got that tattoo. Anyway, we go through this dialogue and use his passion for chess as a context to walk through this idea of the gap between who we're capable of being and who we actually aspire to be and can be um, and are in that moment and the voices in our heads that are often taking us off track on that. Um, it was just a sweet moment and um, gotten feedback that that story was helpful, you know, to boil it down. Of, All yeah, right, this is how you explain sure. it to a 10-year-old, hitting the themes that we just discussed when I kind of defined it. Yeah, it's so relatable. And, uh, you know, it's funny just to be a little vulnerable, like even just preparing for this interview, I have this, I mean, I have this desire for anyone that comes on this podcast for it to be one of the best interviews they do about the topic. So you're going around, you're doing a ton of interviews, I'm sure a lot uh, of targeted interviews about your book and you're, you're talking about these concepts. And I remember even thinking in my head, I'm like, oh man, this is like Brian Johnson. Like there's no way that like this is going to be special to him. Um, and it was interesting as, as I'm simultaneously reading your book about like us kind of rising to our potential, you know, I know I have this potential in me, but there's those negative thoughts that start to creep in of like, oh, Cal, you're not as prepared as you could be. Or, oh man, if you'd completely finished the book, you'd be, then you'd really be ready. Um, and so it was just interesting just watching that literally play out in my own head. And then I got to the part 
Uh, so I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about part X, but I also appreciated grandpa Phil, we already talked about Phil mm. Stutz and his two things that get in the way of us experiencing all the joy that we want to feel in life and it's fear and it's laziness. And it was literally just those two things were, were in that moment, keeping me from feeling confident kind of coming into this interview was like, Oh, well, I'm a little bit afraid because this is Brian Johnson, someone I look up to. Uh, and then I probably could have been a little bit less lazy of just, you know, there are probably things that I could have found more time to you know do a little bit more preparation. But just anyway, I, I use that example because it's, it, these things very clearly show up in moment to moment, especially as we're trying to move towards something that's kind of hard, like going and yep. competing against really talented chess uh, players yep. or, you know, doing something that, that requires you to step outside of your comfort zone. So could you speak to that idea that you introduced in the book about targeted thinking? And you already mentioned it a little bit, this yep. idea of, of part X kind of coming in the way, those those negative thoughts creeping in as we're trying to get at really our potential. And for those listeners out there, I mean, I know that you all have incredible potential and you're moving towards something really cool and really incredible. You have your dreams in your heart you want to fulfill, but part X is right there to creep in and start to give you negative thoughts to cut against that, that potential. Yeah, dude. So good. Um, again, goosebumps several times and, uh, yeah, I'm so many things I can comment on fear and laziness. The two <laughs> things Phil Scott says get in the way. And then you also mentioned, mentioned the comfort zone and, you know, and all that stuff. Phil, in one of our early chats, talked about, and in the tools he talks about, um, tool number one for him is to deal with fear. So right when you're leaving your comfort zone, how do you feel? By definition, you feel uncomfortable. If you still felt mm -hmm. comfortable, you'd still be in your comfort zone. So by definition, when you leave your comfort zone, you feel uncomfortable. Now that shows up in a lot of different ways, but at the highest level, you're either afraid of something and feeling anxiety or overwhelmed or whatever, or you're feeling overwhelmed and then you're, you're acting with laziness, etc. But he says you got to know that your infinite potential exists just on the other side of your comfort zone. And you don't even need to go like 20 miles out of your comfort zone, but you want to get in the habit of going two inches out of your comfort zone. Stephen Kotler wrote a great book called The Rise of Superman. He's one of the leading thinkers on the science of flow. Same thing. Flow is found when your, your skills meet your challenges and just a bit outside of your comfort zone. You're 4% stretching into something you're not that comfortable with. Not crazy, 40%, but 4%. But when you get in the habit of feeling that fear, feeling the desire to contract, and instead you expand 4%, 4%, 4%, 4%, 4% at a time, all day, every day, then he says, what's for breakfast is what's impossible. Suddenly you can do the thing that you didn't think you could ever do, but you did it 4% at a time. Um, so that's a big part of, of my work. But targeted thinking, Aristotle, again, is on my wall. Aristotle says, happy human beings, flourishing human beings, in the true sense of the word of happiness as they used it, are teleological. They have targets. They aim their, their life force at something, their attention at something. The patron god, patron god of philosophy was Apollo, who was an archer. 
right? So happy people have targets. So I've extended that to, all right, in any given situation in which you feel overwhelmed or off balance or not clear on what to do, or you clearly know you're doing something you don't want to do. For me in, this, in the book, I talk about yelling at my kids. I've got an 11-year-old and a six-year-old. That's my greatest philosophical <laughs> practice. <laughs> that and my wife can come in and tell you all the opportunities I have to grow as well in our relationship. But in any given moment, when you're wondering, wow, am I, am I living my best self or you know you aren't, I like to slow down, step back and ask a simple question. In this moment, what do I want? It's never being in an argument with my wife or, or yelling at my kids or not doing the thing I know I need to do creatively or whatever. But pausing for a moment, accepting your current situation, then asking yourself, what do you want is the first step in targeted thinking. Now with my son, he wants to be a grandmaster. So I used his chess to teach him the ultimate game of arte, etc. I said, well, what do you want? He says, all right, well, I want to be a, I want to be a grandmaster. I said, okay, cool. What do you need to do to get that? And, and then I said, I think you can do that. You know, if you put in enough effort and you continue to enjoy it as much as you do and all that. He says, well, I need, to, I need to keep on having fun. We emphasize him enjoying it. I'm not pushing him. He found it and now I support him with coaches and taking him to tournaments and stuff. I said, all right, cool. What else do you need to do if you want to be a grandmaster? And a light bulb went off in his head. I need to go to tournaments. It's exactly what you need to do, bud. You need to learn how to learn when you lose. And you, you got to get excited like your coach was when he went to a tournament where he knew he was going to lose, but he's going to be pushed. We win or we learn and learning is winning. So what do you want? And then what do you need to do to get that or to get one step closer to it? That's targeted thinking. You hold a clear target um, and then you get clarity on well, what do you need to do right now to move in that direction? You don't need to solve the whole thing, but take another shot at it. Be willing to miss, by the way, so the archer doesn't go out to the range and hit the bullseye every single time. If they do, it's too easy. Push the target back. Be willing to miss. And when you miss, use the data. Don't waste it. Don't shame yourself. Just look at it and go, all right, well, I missed a little bit this way. What will I do differently next time to get closer to the target? Anyway, that's now a long answer to the short question on targeted thinking. But it's what I come back to when I coach, you know, our coaches and train them. It's all right, well, what do you want? It's what I do strategically. You know, what do I want? Well, okay, I want this. Then what do I need to do? If I want to get my energy up, all right, well, you're feeling a little lethargic. Perfect. How's your eating? How's your moving? How's your sleeping? In relationship to feeling energized, feeling productive, feeling connected. Um, that's the basic idea with targeted thinking. Um, and in my experience, it works literally with everything. How do you deal with uh, that question of what do you want? Because for me, uh, at 9 p.m. on a Monday, what I want could be uh, a cookie uh, or some sweets right before I go to bed. That's a kind of immediate strong desire. But yep. then deeper within me is a desire to be fit and to feel better on my run the next day. Uh, so how do you deal with kind of the mixed bag that often is inside of us of these competing desires? Like that, I've heard it said, you know, I've kind of got the strongest desire and then I've got my deepest desire. Sometimes they're in conflict. Yep. Often they are, especially in our society, without the wisdom to know the ultimate game. So the first objective in the book is establishing this. So we've been seduced to chase the, um, the good mood rather than the good life, is what Ward mm. Farnsworth says in The Practicing Stoic. The hedonic versus the eudaimonic. So if your main goal in life is to 
you know, feel good, well, then you're going to make certain choices. If your main game, the ultimate game that you're playing in life is um, <clears throat> to be a good person, to deepen your personal relationships and to make a contribution to your community and to actualize and activate your potential, um, then every single thing gets aligned against that. So objective one, know the ultimate game. The ultimate game in all, again, wisdom and faith traditions is be your best self, live with virtue, not someday, but today. Stephen Covey talked about the same thing in his seven habits. Mm -hmm. um, begin with the end in mind, your eulogy. How do you want to be remembered? Oh, okay, cool. So let's keep that in mind as we go through our day. We talk about the ultimate game. Then we talk about the big three, energy, work, and love. And we help you get clarity on who you want to be at your best in your energy, work, and love. So the way I'd frame that up through our philosophy is, all right, you want to be energized. You want to be heroically energized so you can show up with, with great productivity at work and with great connection and love. Then it's easy. Then it's, well, no, I know how I'm going to feel if I binge watch Netflix or go binge eat at this time. I'm sharing my aura scores, the data, you know, on my sleep and mm -hmm. HRV and yep. resting heart rate every morning with our community on our new social mm -hmm. platform. The audience effect is real. When people watch mm -hmm. you do something, you do yes. that thing better. You lift more yes. weights, you, you perform better. Now, I know by eating my last meal four hours before I go to bed, I'm going to sleep better, my HRV is going to be better, my resting heart is going to be better, and my scores will be better. It's mm -hmm. insane to see my scores go up when I'm playing that ultimate game really, really well. But we always know, even the way you just playfully framed it up, you had the demon and the daimon. You had the vicious voice and the virtuous voice. It's always there. You always know what you actually could be doing in any given moment. And when the ultimate game is clear, it becomes a lot easier to say no to mm -hmm. the distractions. Um, and it would be harder for me right now to go binge watch or binge eat. I'd never drank because my dad and his dad did enough of that for me. Mm -hmm. But we all have our kryptonites. But Seneca again said, how much better to have the discipline and pertinacity, he says, to do the right thing long enough such that doing the right thing and what is best for you is what you most enjoy. You couldn't pay me to stay up late and to eat the way I used to eat and to allow my mind to spin out of control and not practice these ideas because I get so much joy in doing what is best for me and I made the connection. And then it's not a chore for me. I don't have a long list of chores I have to do. These are gifts I'm giving to myself and to my future self. And again, then you come back to the morality of it and not in a um, overbearing, um, puritanical, kind of um, uh, harsh way, but in a joy-giving way of, no, 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 this mm. is, it's about more than just me. And, and the hero's secret weapon, by the way, is love. In mm. ancient Greece, the name for hero is protector. It's not tough guy, it's protector. Um, and again, you and all of you who serve us and protect our freedoms, man, I have so much respect and, and gratitude for you and your moral and physical courage to literally put your lives on the line, to separate yourself from your families when you're active duty or move your family around as much as you have. Um, but the hero's secret weapon is, is love for yourself, for your family, for your team, for your community, for your country. Like, that's it. And when you connect to that why, you know the game you're playing, it's easy to say no to the non, it's easier to say no to the nonsense. Yeah. Um, and then you get, you get on a little groove, you know, and uh, there's momentum. You program your basal ganglia, so you become, um, in many ways, positively addicted to doing the right thing. 
So you're programming your mind, the most ancient part of your brainstem, 250 million years old, that tells you what to do. Well, when you do something habitually in enough times, it's, it's, that's what you do. But if you do the right thing enough times, that's what you do. And it becomes harder for me not to meditate in the morning than to meditate. Now, it was hard the first 15, 30, 60, 90 days. Mm -hmm. Now it would be hard not to do that thing. Uh, all of which we know, but we just need to move from the abstract to the concrete. Um, and again, long answer, um, but know the game you're playing, you know, and why you're playing it, and then have fun playing it at the highest possible level. It's a great answer. And I, uh, I want to ask you about the role of community in that. You've mentioned uh, coaching. You've mentioned accountability, maybe sharing your aura scores with other people. Thoughts on that? People trying to, let's say you we're catching someone right now who's feeling some of those descriptors we mentioned before. They, they feel stuck. They feel unfulfilled. They, they're not happy with where they are. Uh, and they, they want to make progress. Thoughts on the importance yeah. of community and people yeah. around you? Because uh, a lot of this can very much, it can feel like it's, it's in my mind, it's part X, I'm trying to fight the negative thinkings, and it seems like there is very much a role for whatever word you, I'm sure you have yeah. some, some very precise words, but the word that comes to mind is self-discipline or yeah. uh, the, the intrinsic motivation, the ability to, to choose those, those deeper desires, the, the, the longer term uh, part of yourself. What do you think is the role of community? Is it essential or is this really kind of a, an individual game? Uh, as is often the case, the answer to any question in which we're, we're juxtaposing things yeah. is yes. So, yes. you know, yeah, 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 yeah. We got to do the hard a work. A lawyer would internally. appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> There's, I love it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you need to do the personal work, the podcasts, the books, the personal reflection and the study, the prayer, whatever it is that you do in order to feel connected to your best self, which, again, that's the ultimate game, connected to the best version of yourself, um, the spirit within that's God given from my perspective. And then again, you do that through the basic mundane things, eating, moving, sleeping. To me, those are spiritual acts. Those are acts of devotion. You know, I don't walk into a church and spray paint it would never do that. Well, if you believe that your body is the temple of God, which I do, why would I spray yeah. paint the inside of my body with sugar and refined foods and other things, alcohol, that I know don't work for it? It's a sacred thing. It's a sacred obligation. But that's individual. But then community is absolutely essential and it's the fastest way to change your life. So science is unequivocal. If you want to change your life, of course, go study and do all these things and begin to move from theory to practice. But doing it together is by far the fastest way. I mean, you tell me how your life changed when you showed up uh, at West Point. Boom, <laughs> right there in that community, you're a different person. Yeah. You're going through ranger training, boom. You walk into that goosebumps. You are a different person the moment you walked mm -hmm. over the threshold of you know, your training for, for ranger school. You're, you're among people that have insanely high standards. So we wanna create community, but you know, your show is the intentional leader. You gotta lead yourself first. Part of that is surrounding yourself with people that you'd like to be the average of, right? So you are the average of the five people with whom you spend the most time. Jim Rohn said that kind of, you know, colloquially, but science proves that. You're the average of the people with whom you spend the most time. Now, connecting here with, with you today is making me better. Anyone here with us today, I would imagine, is feeling more inspired than the norm. So find people 
who bring out the best in you and be the person that's bringing out the best in those with whom you're, you're connecting. It's insanely important, you know, and I, I talk about my meditation practice. What is that? That's me connecting with a power bigger than me. I like to average up to that power, you know, through prayer. Yeah. These are important practices um, that are, for me, part of the community expression. Um, but then, of course, you know, the interpersonal relationships we have. But as leaders, we have to set the tone. We're the ones that need to show up with wisdom, with discipline, with love, with courage, with gratitude, with hope, with curiosity, with zest, especially when we don't feel like it. To me, that's the... Um, that's the essence of leadership. Not meaning we deny the emotional experience, but as Phil Stutz taught me that I talk about a lot in the book, you need to forge what I call anti-fragile confidence. He calls it emotional stamina. So when you are feeling knocked down by life, that's the moment that you need to be most committed to your protocol. Changed my life mm. when he taught me this forever ago. Mm. The worse you feel, the more committed you are to your protocol, he says. And especially as leaders, we have to operationalize that. But it presupposes you know who you are at your best. What's your protocol? And then what do you do when life hits you? Do you break? Are you fragile? Or do you use that to get stronger? Like you're going to the gym, lifting weights, getting stronger. Um, but anyway, saying a lot again, community is essential mm. for our growth. And as leaders, again, we are, are responsible, in my mind, to create the culture um, and then to support and surround ourselves with mentors and advisors and friends who um, will bring out the best in us as well. Can you talk about anti-fragile confidence? How, how does someone begin to build that? That's, that's really good. That's really important. Dude, it's my favorite part of the book. It's my the favorite part of everything that I do. So objective one is you got to know the ultimate game. We talked about that a little bit. Objective two is you got to know rule number one of the ultimate game. It's supposed to be hard. So society has seduced us to play the wrong game, to chase fame, wealth, and hotness, to feel good, to create a, a good mood all day, every day, instead of a good life. Um, then they also seduce us, society does, to think it's supposed to be easy. So when we inevitably get knocked down and experience hardships, we tell ourselves the story that we must be doing it wrong because everybody else has got to figure it out. And that's yeah. what drove me to the brink of wanting to end my own life 25 years ago. I had none of these mm. tools and I suffered. And I thought I was the only one and something was wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with you per se. Um, you just haven't been taught how to play the game really well. And I tell a story about laser tag in the book as well. You know, I didn't know how to play and I sucked. The moment I knew how to play, it became a lot more fun. Uh, but anti-fragile confidence, it, it's grounded in a Nassim Taleb idea. Nassim Taleb, the great intellectual, talks about the fact that individuals or institutions can be fragile resilient or the opposite of fragile, which he introduced into the cultural vernacular, which is anti-fragile. What would happen if instead of breaking when life hits you, you got stronger? Literally, just like when you go to the gym. Um, he says the wind extinguishes a candle, but that same wind fuels a fire. That's anti-fragility. So that's what I want to train in anyone who goes through anything that I do, whether it's the book or the app. Then it's anti-fragile confidence. So the word confidence means intense trust, confidere. And the way I frame it up is, look, if you want to build trust in any relationship, what do you have to do? You have to do what you say you will do. So if I didn't show up today or you didn't show up today, would I trust you? Of course not. I shouldn't trust you. I may give you a pass, but if you do that more than once, it's like, all right, I can't trust that guy. 
-hmm. Well, guess what? If you aren't doing what you say you will do, whether it's eating a certain way, moving your body, being with your kids without your phone, or showing up in a certain way at work, you shouldn't trust yourself. You shouldn't have confidence in yourself. Stated positively, when you do start doing those things you said you would do, not perfectly, but more and more consistently, especially when you don't feel like it, you forge an anti-fragile confidence where you know that you have whatever it takes and that the harder life pushes you, the stronger you recommit to your protocol. Um, that's anti-fragile confidence. Um, getting even one or three or 5% better at this is life-changing. It, it's, um, it's one of the ideas that the most elite, and as you know, we, we serve some, some people in, in the military and in sports and in other domains. They love this, but so do people who can't get out of bed in the morning because they realize and they want to end their lives. They realize, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I have, I've eroded my trust in myself, but I can rebuild that. And the moment I do and close the gap, I feel good. And let me string more of those moments together. And I suddenly have more agency um, and feel more empowered, moving toward feeling more heroic. And um, that's the essence of anti-fragile confidence. How do you, how would you coach someone to get back on track? So let's say they, let's say that if their goal was to get up early for, you know, let's say their goal is to get up at 6am and then they do a pretty good job. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm making some progress and then, Oh, I hit snooze again. Oh, I hit snooze again. Oh, now, and now, and now part X is starting to creep in and say, Oh, you, you don't have what it takes. Like you, you say you're going to get up early, but let's be honest. We know that you're just going to keep hitting snooze. You've done it your whole life. You're going to do it again. This whole getting up early and maybe working out or starting your day off. Right. Like it's just not for you like that. This is part X talking. So how, how can someone start to can kind of get back on track? Cause I yep. feel like it's, it's on the one hand, there might be this voice in your head saying, Hey, give yourself some grace. Like it's just too much work, you know? But on the other hand, deep down, you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I really, I really want to make progress. In this area. So how can someone like who maybe has started down a path towards a goal, towards something that they know is good for them and they really want deep down, but they've just kind of fallen off track? How does someone get kind of get back on track? Yeah, I mean, first, and we talked about this before, but you got to have the wisdom to know that's how it works. So the most dangerous mm. part of your story is the story that you shouldn't be experiencing the setback and the voice in your head, because then shame comes in. But if you have the wisdom to step back and go, yep, there's the voice. And, and, and of mm. course, you're not going to install a habit perfectly. You think, I mean, when I want to change my life, it's fits and starts, but I keep mm. at it. The professional shows up and they show up even when they don't feel like it, which comes back to the, oh, I don't feel, oh, wait, that's a signal not to give up, but to lean in. And again, part X isn't going away. Like that's just a, it's an ingrained part of our experience, but it's also not all bad. Because when properly viewed, it can become a trigger to slow down and recommit. But you want to bring a flashlight to the process first and just look at it and say, what's working and what's not working? Tactical weeds. The issue of getting up in the morning rarely has to do with your alarm clock. I haven't used an alarm clock outside of travel days in like a decade. It has to do with when you went to bed. So if you are blowing up your consciousness with pseudo heroes on Netflix or on, you know, basketball courts or whatever it is, football fields, and you're staying up late and you're eating late and you're doing things you know don't help you, well, then you wake up tired and you oh, shoot, I can't get up when I feel like it. Mm. Well, no, you didn't go to bed when you needed to. So today started last night is how I talk about it very tactically. But, mm -hmm. but importantly, when we step back, BJ Fogg, Stanford behavioral design guy, 
um, who everyone comes back to. James Clear, Atomic Habits, the best-selling book in self-development now, um, is based a lot on B.J. Fogg. Charles Duhigg's Power of Habits. I talk about it in Objective 5. I boil all that stuff down and I teach you how to master yourself. Um, installing and deleting habits because there's a formula. But, and you haven't been taught it, almost certainly. But B.J. says, you think something's wrong with you because you failed to install habits. You think it's a character flaw. He says, but what if it was a design flaw? What if you haven't been taught how to do this? And if you actually think about it, it's bizarre that we don't teach our kids how to cultivate um, the ability to install and delete habits. Willpower outpredicts IQ for academic performance by a factor of two, and it's teachable. Mm. Yet we don't teach kids how to cultivate their willpower. So here you are shaming yourself, thinking something's wrong with you, but maybe you just weren't taught how to do it. Now, you need to put in the work to learn how to do it, but you shaming yourself, science says, isn't helping. So the three-step process to get over that shaming is, there's a science to self-compassion. One, you're not alone. Common humanity. Me and you, Cal, everyone here fails more often than we succeed. You know, and remember the baseball player that makes it to the Hall of Fame batting 300. Just get up. Step up to the plate again. Give it your best shot. Common humanity, you're not alone. I used to tell myself it was all me, I'm the only one. 80% of us are struggling invisibly with anxiety and depression. <laughs> Not alone. Number two, be nice to yourself. Treat yourself the way you would a beloved friend, right? Would you yell and berate your friend when they come to you and tell you? You're telling me this right now humbly and courageously. I'm not going to be a jerk to you and say, yeah, dude, you're just an idiot. You aren't <laughs> going to figure it out. That's your voice in your head. And I know that because it's my voice in my head. I'm going to be nice to you, dude. I'm going to treat you like a guy I respect and admire and want to support. Um, three, notice. Be mindful of when you start going into the old patterns. And then you need to have the discipline to stop it. So Phil isn't a bashful on dropping F-bombs. I don't publicly. <laughs> but he would say, scream at that voice. Tell it to be quiet in more, in more declarative terms. And then embrace it. Embrace the pain. Embrace the discomfort of trying to change your life. And then do what needs to get done. Go back to targeted thinking. What do I want? All right, I fell short. Well, I want to wake up feeling good. Perfect. What did you do last night that didn't help the cause? Oh, that third drink or the second one or even the first one didn't help. I know that. Oh, let me make the connection. Tonight, I'm not going to drink. And tonight, I'm actually going to go to bed an hour earlier so I can get an hour more of sleep. That's constructive. That's targeted thinking. And you do that. You don't even need to be perfect at it, of course. But you do that more often and your power grows. And then you want to do more of it. And you feel this, this upward spiraling momentum and it becomes a heck of a lot more fun. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. Brian, I, you are unique, my brother. You, you bring, I, I read a lot of uh, stuff in the personal growth leadership space. I just so appreciate your work, not only your energy, and your passion and your heart behind this, but the way you synthesize so many individual topics that are hard sometimes to pull together and just the wealth of knowledge that you have, man, it is, this is really good. Um, I wanna, uh, there's two topics I wanna hit on the, towards the end, I know we're running out of time, but I do want to ask just generally, how should people use this book? How do you want people to use this book? Cause it does have, and I appreciate uh, it's, I don't know if you call them chapters, but they're they're very short, one to two page uh, key takeaways 
and it is over a thousand pages. So it's but it's really approachable. It's, so it's 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 broken up in in bite sized pieces, but also it's nested underneath these key themes, these seven themes. So tell us a little bit of how if if someone goes and grabs the book, I know it comes out. Uh, it, depending on when people are listening, uh, but comes out November 14th. You've had tons of pre-orders. How do you want people to use the book? Yeah, and again, I got all the time you got, as we discussed before. Um, so the book has 451, I call them micro chapters. I kind of write in a pithy style, get in and get out. People are busy, I get that. Let me give you more wisdom in less time. It's 451 micro chapters or big ideas. Um, because that's how many degrees Fahrenheit, 451 it takes to start a fire. So there's something called activation energy, where one thing becomes another thing. And most of us have become a bit apathetic. And the intensity that I unapologetically show up with, it, it, you know, it, we don't feel comfortable, like going all in. But we need to be willing to activate, to have that grounded yet intense um, approach to life. So if you want to boil water, 200 degrees won't do it, 210 won't do it, 211 won't do it, 212 degrees is required. At that point, activation energy occurs and one thing becomes another. Same with fire. You know, you're a ranger, I didn't want to imagine the things you had to go through, but if you want to make a fire, you need 451. Anything short of that won't set paper on fire. You have to ignite it, activate it at that intensity level. So the book is 451 of the best ideas I've explored, and, and I've spent a lot of time reading all, a lot of the best ancient wisdom and modern science text. And these are the ideas that I've been told have been most life transformative for the people I've been blessed to serve in the context of seven objectives. Now you can open the book from page one and go through it, and I'll systematically walk you through the objectives. We touched on a few, or you can pick it up anywhere you want and just get a little two to three page bit of wisdom. Um, but I wanted it to have literally a, a weight to it, a gravitas to it, yeah. and, and to also be really, really readable. Um, that's the essence of the book. And, um, and my hope, so you know, too, when I'm, when I'm writing the book, I'm like, oh, my God, I want this to be a great book. I'm feeling the fear that you're talking about with our interview. I want this to be the best book someone's read, which is exactly what I want it to be. But if that's what I'm thinking about while I'm writing, I'm going to choke. So what I'm thinking about mm -hmm. when I'm writing it is, I hope one person gets one idea from this book that can change their life. And ideally, every person who reads the book will get at least one idea that changes their life. Then I take the focus off of me, I put it on the individual I'm hoping to serve. And then by the way, I eat, I move, I sleep, I breathe, I focus my attention and I do the process things such mm -hmm. that I can show up and hopefully write well and um, create something that um, is really helpful for people. But that's the book and um, I'm proud of it. I worked hard, you know, I waited a long time to write the book and to, to publish the book. We're blessed to have an incredible partnership. We created our own imprint with a publishing company. We've got a kid's book uh, series coming out next year. Oh wow! Um, and just no really committed to, um, to bringing Arate and the idea of virtue and excellence and um, a commitment to something bigger than ourselves back into the cultural conversation. This was what people were talking about 2000 years ago, you know, across all these different traditions. And of course, your community uh, in your faith, are, they're talking about this, but I want to make it approachable, you know, mm -hmm. across the board and connected to the science and all the other things. Uh, but we're really excited about it. And I'm really grateful to have your support um, introducing it to people. 
you've done a great job. It, I mean, it is truly unique, and it's there's a depth to it and an approachability to it that's really, really special. I highly, highly recommend people go ahead and pre-order it, get a copy of it. Uh, you've already mentioned it a little bit, but I want to go back to this idea of our secret weapon being love. And we've talked already about some of the impediments of fear, laziness, the, the heart acts, the thinking. And I'll be honest, I didn't expect the secret weapon to be love. But I love that that's the, I appreciate that that's the secret weapon. And it made me think actually of a verse in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus. And it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It was this idea of having something on the other side of the struggle to point towards. And uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, not just for you and kind of what love drives you, but how people can find that love in their own life to pursue the, the heroic path in their journey. Hmm. You know, there's interesting science too, that, that you all who are serving us in the military, this is your most profound and expressed virtue. It's what brought you to West mm. Point, man. I mean, it's what mm. it gives me tears in my eyes and goosebumps. Like, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. You know, we think of our warriors as kind of cold-hearted machines, but you're not. You know, you 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 love your country, your team. You know, and your your families mm. in that order, right? Uh, well, not in that order, but but together. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's what leads you to the battlefield, dude. Nothing else. Is you're not a mercenary. You're, you're going out there serving something bigger than yourself and willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, literal embodiment of what we're talking about. Socrates was a, was a renowned warrior, you know? Uh, but love, you know, the word courage comes from the same root um, as the word heart. So just as your heart pumps blood to your arms and legs and vital organs, Aristotle and those guys would say courage is the virtue that vitalizes all the other virtues. But again, heroes have strength for two. So the, the easiest practical way to do it is for whom are you committed to having strength for two? If it's just about you at some level, you're like, whatever. For me, it's my kids. So my kids, hum I'm so humbled by the challenge of being a worthy exemplar for them. It's easy for me with you here right now. We're talking ideas. I'm really good at my energy and my work. And I'm proud of who I am in love, but that's by far my hardest challenge. But I want to be a good man, you know, as a representation of these ideas for them. I love them. I appreciate them. I want to do the hard work for them, for my wife, of course, for my team, for us, you know, when we're connecting. Um, and the more we can get out of ourselves and, and connect the things we're doing and our ability to um, be of service and the joy we feel when we do that. Um, the easier it becomes to do the right thing. Um, and then practically speaking, we talk about a lot of ways to actually be more loving. So things like when my kids say, hey, daddy, well, scientists call that a bid for your attention. If you ignore them and look at your phone, rather than turn toward them and respond to them, you lost an opportunity, a little micro moment of opportunity to be loving. So you got to take it out of the abstract and make it concrete. Um, same thing with my wife. And again, science on this. Um, when, you know, our kids come to us or our spouses or our colleagues come to us and they're excited, celebrate them. Celebratory love is a real thing. And relationships that don't celebrate one another, those ones are in bigger jeopardy than ones you can get away with arguing with someone and you can do that more or less gracefully. But if you don't celebrate 
someone and their potential and their successes, that's actually much more toxic. But anyway, there are a lot of ways to um, operationalize love. Um, but, you know, Jesus said as well, I mean, love is in throughout the Bible, obviously. Yeah. And that's why I have him on my wall, by the way, is yeah. for me, he yeah. is the epitome of, of deep, deep sacrificial um, unconditional love expressed in service um, imaginable, you know? But yeah. that would be another way. What would Jesus do? That's a beautiful um, mm. practice, literally. That, that, yeah. There you go, targeted thinking. Let me act yeah. more like what, um, you know, my ultimate hero would do. These are all mm. practices through which we can embody um, each of the virtues. That's so good. One of my prayers often is just, Lord, give me your eyes, give me your ears, give me your heart, give me, let, let me uh, see what you want me to see and uh, do what you want me to do. And uh, it's interesting too, my, my daughter and I, who's nine, we've been doing some teaching. We've been actually talking about wisdom and what is wisdom? Where does it come from? Um, how do we, de how do we develop it? And, uh, it, it was interesting that during that conversation and in, in her own like nine year old way, she actually tied it back to love. And it was like, I didn't actually, I didn't put those together, but it was just, it's funny how a kid in the way they think can sometimes bring a level of wisdom that it's like, Oh man, all my, you know, book education couldn't necessarily see in that moment. But I wanted to ask you, uh, so one kind of theoretical question, and then I, I want to get tactical here at the end, but, uh, what do you, how do you, you wisdom how how do you maybe define it and i hate to ask someone to define a word but you you probably have a definite but just generally how do you think about it maybe is a better way to ask how do you think about wisdom what is it uh and i know we've talked a little bit about how you get it but just what, what do you think when you when you hear that word wisdom uh what comes to mind it's one of those beautiful words that you can't quite define you know mm -hmm. but from a a basic perspective i see wisdom as knowledge of of how to live a good life. I have wisdom to know in the declaration we have on the back of the book for each of the virtues is I know the ultimate game and how to play it well. Mm. And I've mm. said that mantra affirmation to myself thousands and thousands of times, along with the affirmations for not just wisdom, but discipline, love, courage, gratitude, hope, curiosity, and zest, which are the virtues, the cardinal virtues, plus the scientific virtues, most highly correlated with flourishing. But wisdom ultimately is understanding how to live a noble, good life, and then embodying and expressing the virtue that is appropriate in any given moment. Some moments call for more discipline, some for more love, some for more courage, some for more gratitude, some for more hope, more curiosity and openness, or more energy and vitality and zest. But I think wisdom is the meta virtue that embraces all of them um, and calls forth that which is needed in any given moment. And then, oh, by the way, arte is the operationalized expression of it. Boom. Did you live with that virtue, which of course is how to win the ultimate game, is to live with arte, to live with virtue, to be your best self moment to moment to moment. Wisdom is knowing that. Foolishness is not foolishness is, and frankly, foolishness is thinking that the voice is going to go away, thinking that you're going to be able to change your life overnight. Those are foolish thoughts. The wise among us who have earned enough gray whiskers and failed enough times, no, 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 let me be wise here and let me be disciplined and loving for myself and my family and then courageous and all the other things. Um, that's some of how I think about wisdom. I love it. I, I hate to be negative, but I'm curious commentary on our society are we and i can't remember the exact quote but i've heard people 
say something to the effect of, you know, especially in an Instagram, TikTok world. I mean, there's just so much information out there. We're, we're just dominated with information, but we're starving for wisdom. Do you agree with that idea? Or no? <laughs> I, I, without, it's hard not to laugh. Yeah. I mean, look, again, but these are not new challenges. So these are, these are yeah. 2,500 year old challenges that mm-hmm. all the great teachers have desperately tried to explain to people. And today they're just amplified and exacerbated. Um, there's no question. Krishnamurti, another one of my, my um, teacher I admire, says, it is no measure of well-being to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. In a society in which 80% of us are experiencing anxiety or depression, and about that many are overweight or obese, you look at the chronic levels of diabetes, cancer, etc. It's no measure of your health to be well-adjusted to that society. So... Mm. That's we live good. in a sick society. I mean, that's, that is what it is, you know, and now it's as leaders, as intentional leaders, we must step back. This is, uh, there's a science to iconoclasm, which is, uh, an, for me, an aspect of heroism and leadership. So three things that an iconoclast or a leader needs to have. One, a vision for a better world. You have to separate yourself from the current world to see a possible better world. That's leadership 101. What's the vision mm-hmm. for creating a better future yeah. in my family, my organization, etc. Two, you have to tame your amygdala and have the courage to, to go against the stream of conformity. Our kids, we're recording this after Halloween. Our kids don't go out on Halloween. You know, mm-hmm. they don't eat candy. They don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a certain level of, of nonconformity for which Ralph Waldo Emerson says, society will whip you with its displeasure. Mm. The moment you don't mm. eat the pizza and drink the soda at the pizza party after the baseball game, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with you. Conforming in that situation to me is not leadership. We know what sugar does. We know what that refined food does to kids and downstream. Mm-hmm. You're not a leader if you're just doing it because you're going to make people feel uncomfortable if you don't do that, in my mind. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able yeah. to tame your amygdala and show up. The third thing is you got to be cool. You can't be lame about it. You got to have social intelligence. People trust people who are living in integrity with their ideals. You need to be that person, which is the seventh objective of the book, by the way, is activating your soul force which is a Gandhi phrase that Martin Luther King talks about. All of our heroes, and again, to use Jesus in this context, Mm. goosebumps, his halo, (laughs) that's soul force. That's moral charisma. There was a rightness to him, independent of your relationship to him as God, human. It's There's, boom, you feel that. Mm. And our approximation of that in the human realm and whatever we can do to best express that in however imperfect a way, there's a felt sense of that. That is, to my mind, the ultimate purpose of life is to be that noble, worthy person that people feel when they're in your presence. They feel your moral charisma. They feel your commitment. They feel your wisdom, your discipline, your love, your courage, and your desire to support them. Um, But anyway, again, long answer that ends in the positive. But that's how you conquer the challenges we're facing, um, which, again, to me, are historically significant. Just when you think the world can't get worse, it does over the last 30 days. Um, there's no other way to solve it but for each of us to figure out our own idiosyncratic path. And my main thing is, like my mom, if I can be in that sacred relationship with anyone with whom I connect, grabbing you by the shoulders, shaking you a bit, looking you in the eye and saying, God give you gifts. 
Give them to the world. You're mm. the one we've been waiting for. To Today's them. the day. That's good. And I think about courage when I think about that idea of, and Jesus talked about it, uh, living a narrow path, you know, kind of going down a particular path that's maybe uh, not conventional. Uh, to me, as a people pleaser, that re- that just requires courage because I, I don't like necessarily to be different sometimes, but I but I feel committed to doing certain things knowing that that is the that is the path that gets to the heroic life the life that you know that that potential the the true optimized contribution and gifting uh to the world and i just appreciate you kind of bringing us back to that so i'd love to end with just kind of a practical uh tool here for for everyone listening you talk in your book about am and pm bookends can you talk about that talk about what those are and just how they can maybe help people starting down the path to making progress. Yeah, so the fourth objective in the book is make today a masterpiece. You can't set New Year's resolutions and then forget about it till 364 or five days later, you gotta make New Day's resolutions. So what's your masterpiece day look like? And then the, the primary components of a great day are, I got it from Darren Hardy, your AM bookend and your PM bookend. You tend to have more control over those things. How you start your day, how you end your day. You want to exert that control. You want to figure out what would an ideal day look like for you within the constraints of your reality. I have mine, my wife has hers, as she does a lot of the things in the morning with the kids. All right, cool. What are your um, constraints? And then how do you create your ideal day AM and PM? But the important thing I want to emphasize again is your PM bookend counts twice. Today started last night. How you ended your day and whether you ended it in a, in a systematic way or not will dictate how energized you felt, which will then dictate the rest of your day. Then you got another PM. The other thing that's, that's important in this is a checklist. So you want to create a checklist. So pilots have checklists, surgeons have checklists, rangers have checklists, jags, I yeah. imagine, have checklists. Yes, we love you our need checklist. a checklist. <laughs> you got to know, but, but we need checklists. What do you do when you're at your best? Make a checklist of the top one, two, three things you do mm. and make it That's non-negotiable. Good. So you couldn't pay me to not do a few things that I do every day. And then it becomes really hard to have a really bad day. You'll still have challenges. But then when you do have a really bad day, you bounce back and you, you go even deeper into your commitments, as we discussed, and forge that anti-fragile confidence. But AM and PM bookends are a great way to kind of um, frame it up, um, get in the things that may be slipping um, when you can create more uh, control over your schedule. What are some of the, just the keys for you? What are some of the non-negotiables in your life? Yeah, well, I have Eisenhower on my on my uh, my wall by by the way for a reason. One, he obviously led the D-Day invasion, um, which vice versus virtue. You know, thank him, thank the soldiers and the sailors and uh, all the others who who um, helped win that war. But he was thoughtful in lead yourself first. A book by another West Point grad and and leadership yeah, yeah. you know professor, yeah. Mike Irwin, love him. Yep. Uh, lead yourself first. He talks about the importance of silence and stillness. So I begin, first of all, again, my day began last night. I went to bed after we tucked the kids in. It's getting dark early here in Texas. So we're in bed at like 7.30 or something last night. I went to bed right after we tucked them in. I got up, you know, at four something in the morning without an alarm, feeling pretty good. Um, and then what do I do? 
that's my form of prayer is to sit in silence and to, I connect to all my heroes and they give me guidance mm -hmm. for the day. Mm -hmm. And from that stillness, I think about our mission. I think about the vision for our public benefit corporation. And then I think about what's important now. What do I need to do today? And I do the most, I do that every morning. And I do that most important thing before I do anything else. Mm -hmm. Boom. And my joke is that version of me gets more done before the old version of me used to get up, <laughs> you know, cause I'm doing the important thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's good. And then deep work. I told you, you remind me of my friend Cal yeah. Newport, you know, that idea of deep work is important. Stillness, quiet. That's when good strategy is created. And we're so bombarded by information that those of us who can go deep, connect to our best selves and create are at a significant advantage of those who can't and of ourselves when we aren't doing that. Those are some of the important things. Of course, I move my body every day um, in a certain systematic way, um, but sleeping, focusing my mind, uh, getting a good uh, nutrition, all the obvious things, um, I kind of bundle into my day. It's, it's, it's interesting too that a lot of the those core habits are, are often, they're just, they're simple and they're, a lot of them aren't necessarily new, but they but they are, their core, like taking care of our bodies. I mean, that, like you've said this, these are things that have been talked about for a long time, but it is hard in our modern world to just be reminded, Hey, get, get back to go to bed earlier, maybe, you know, right around with the sun or, or and get up, but you know, like these are just things that are often are, um, they're simple, but, uh, but maybe hard to do consistently initially. Um, and I just, man, Brian, I, I could talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one more, one more thing there, John Wooden. So my favorite coach of all time. I'm a UCLA Bruin. John Wooden, greatest coach ever. What did he do before he let his players touch the basketball? The best basketball athletes of the era. He teach them how to put on their socks. Fundamentals are everything. The great performers yeah. know that that the further you go, the more deeply you need to dig a foundation. So these basic yeah. fundamentals are everything. And when you get those right, you build scaffolding. And then you get really yeah. excited and curious about where you can go because you quit wasting your energy just getting back to baseline, yeah. you know. Um, but they're not sexy. They're, they're not flashy, you know, um, but they work. And uh, if we work them. Yeah, man, Brian, you are you are a good man. And I. I could talk to you forever just because of the the amount of wisdom and wealth and uh, and just but you're also just so generous and I and I will say you know sometimes you you meet you know your heroes and beforehand but you're you're so gracious you're so gracious with your time and I just appreciate you connecting with with me and the listeners today and offering your wisdom I really encourage people to go and get your new book um, tell folks where they can connect with you where they can engage with you maybe even if. Uh, coaching. I know there's a lot of way you're doing a lot of great things through heroic and through your work. Tell, tell folks where they can connect with you and find you uh, these days. Awesome. And I got to make sure I, I say out loud, you hit your target, dude. This is tied for first as a uh, oh. favorite chat. So, so oh. well done, dude. Um, Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons. So, um, Arte, of course, the book you can get uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, everywhere you buy a book. Um, even FedEx, I'm kind of that's like a funny thing for me. Like, oh, awesome, we're in FedEx. Let's go. Oh no way! Uh, All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you can learn more about the book and get it if you're not ready to get it yet. Get the you know forward that Phil wrote, the early chapters at heroic.us/book. Um, get all the samples and stuff, um, and then heroic.us is the website. And then the app you can find in your iOS or Android kind of app stores, just search Heroic. We're the training platform, Heroic. 
Um, and then we've got a coach certification program. Um, we've, we've worked with 10,000 people from 100 countries around the world um, who have gone through that. But uh, that's the basic idea, arte and heroic. And Cal, seriously, I appreciate you and um, who you are and how you serve. And um, just been a, a real fantastic opportunity to connect with you today. Well, thanks, Brian. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes of this episode. Encourage folks, go connect with Brian. He is doing passionate and unique work at a time, as we've discussed, where it's very, very much needed. So thanks, Brian, and uh, really appreciate your time today. Appreciate you, man. Well, friends, thank you so much for sticking around to the end. A special thanks to Brian Johnson for being so incredibly generous with his time. He gave me as much time as I wanted, and I <laughs> didn't want to be rude and take too much time, but man, there were so many things I wanted to ask him about, and I certainly did not get to all of them, but I just really appreciate him and just his wisdom. Love his book. Please go check it out in the show notes of this episode. Also, the Heroic app is definitely worth downloading. You can get started for free on either the, the free platform, and you can also do a trial on the premium platform has tons of just great quick hits for a daily inspiration and growth over time in those key areas that he talked about. So please let me know what you thought about this episode. If you enjoyed it, please help us out by leaving us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for spending just a little bit of time with us today. I hope it inspired you to go and be your best self and go make an impact on the people around you as you lead, whether it's leading yourself, leading your family, or leading your team. We just really appreciate your time here today. Remember that life is short, so let's go make it count.